Welcome to the New Zealand China Council podcast. I'm Alistair Crozier, the Executive Director of the Council. In today's podcast, we focus on New Zealanders' views on China's climate change response. We explore what young Chinese people think about climate change, and we discuss the potential for more collaboration between New Zealand and China in this area. I'll be talking with Daniel Bassett and Emily Fan. Dr. Daniel Bassett is a PhD biologist turned data scientist, is currently business development manager at Instat Data, a New Zealand startup that analyzes Kiwi social media posts to measure public sentiment and conversations that are occurring on particular subjects. And Emily Fan is currently a Schwarzman Scholar completing her master's degree in global affairs at Tsinghua University in Beijing, where she's working with the World Economic Forum to help China decarbonize its heavy industry. A big welcome to you both. Daniel, recently the New Zealand China Council has partnered with your company Instat Data, which works to assess public sentiment on different issues by looking at social media posts. And we agreed that we do this in the area of China's response to climate change because we felt this was a really interesting area where there could be quite a divergence of public opinion on what China's doing and, and how it's going. So it's been a real privilege for us to have a chance to work with Instat Data uh, and explore the methodology that you use. Could you um, start by just giving us a quick snapshot of how your analysis works? How do you gather the data and then how do you make sense of it? Yeah, sure. So Instat Data is basically a company where, on a very general top level, we try to tap into the conversations that New Zealanders are having across social media. Um, obviously, as social media grows, you're able to gauge what New Zealanders' feelings and attitudes are towards different subjects. So obviously, we've looked into that to do with China and climate change. And um, so what we do is we look at multiple social media platforms and we analyze the comments that people are making um, and the conversations that they're having, we're very big on adhering to the legal guidelines and ethical guidelines. So we are big on like protecting people's privacy and um, things like that. So we'll use machine learning models and other analytical tools to look at patterns. We're not sort of interested in individuals. So some of the two big techniques that we used in this studies was we looked at sentiment towards different subjects within China and climate change. So sentiment is a measure of how a person feels about something, whether they feel positive or negatively about that. And so then we can look at when they're talking about China and climate change, were New Zealanders feeling positive or negative? And then the other tool that we used was we built up word maps. So word maps will look at the key conversations that are happening. So they start to tie together, like these words are getting mentioned a lot together. So it starts to tie together kind of key conversations that are happening around China and climate change showed us some interesting results. Yeah, great. So it's, it's I guess, anonymized data across multiple platforms, all the usual ones that I guess Kiwis use the most. How did it go? Um, what were Kiwis thinking about China when it came to climate change? Yeah, so the main findings were that um, there was like a general negative sentiment towards China by New Zealanders, um, this really dropped during COVID, went quite negative. This was not true for other countries we measured to compare as a comparison. We looked at Japan, USA and UK, and they tended to keep quite a positive sentiment. So it seems that in comparison to those countries, New Zealanders' perceptions on uh, China's role in climate change was considered as quite negative. 
some of the conversations around China and climate change were, this is from the word maps, was that they're a major climate change contributor, especially in activities such as coal production. And then that kind of skewed how New Zealanders saw New Zealand's role in the relationship as well, because a lot of the conversation was around why does New Zealand try to do anything around climate change when we're such a small player and China is the major, you know, in their perceptions, the major contributor. When China has made positive contributions, such as being a big electric car producer and an energy renewable energy producer, those conversations tend to be largely ignored. Uh, one of the things we found was that, yeah, Tesla will, like, for example, often get mentioned, but the Chinese manufacturers don't. And one of the interesting things, which maybe we can get into, was that no one really ever talked about China as a renewable energy producer. But um, when it was mentioned, it was always in reply to other people's comments. So I think 80% of the time that that was brought up, it was a reply to someone saying, well, did you know that they produce the most solar panels and stuff like that? We also look at, we've got a database of the news media. So we look, there's BBC, all the news media, major CNN, BBC, um, we've got the New Zealand ones like stuff.nz. And we looked at what was being said about China and climate change. And we compared it with countries like UK and USA. And we found that it also tended to be very negative when China was mentioned in comparison to other countries. And it was actually drove a lot of negative sentiment. When you actually took out those comments on those news media articles um, out of the equation, the sentiment actually lifted back up to more neutral. So we think that the news media tends to have a negative bias towards China, and it's actually driving a lot of the negative sentiment. So I think those were the, the key findings. Yeah, brilliant. Yes, we find that as well. I mean, the short term news cycle generally does colour perceptions of China, and I guess other countries as well. But yes, some of these points, I think uh, we're going to have a great discussion with Emily about because there is a sometimes a sense that, you know, is it a glass half full or a glass half empty when it comes to China and climate change? Huge, huge emissions, but also huge strides forward in other ways as well. And the, the other thing I should mention too was that the numbers varied widely. <laughs> um, so when people gave numbers on coal production, for example, the numbers they gave very widely between users. So as you probably expect, wasn't probably the most accurate information in terms of what people thought was happening. Mm. But honestly, it's just so useful to start to quantify and analyse what must be so hard to grasp when you're dealing across social media platforms. So amazing technology. And thank you so much for giving us some stuff to get our teeth stuck into today, Daniel. Yeah, no worries. So Emily, um, there's a lot we can discuss, but I wanted to start just by asking you what you're up to at the moment. You're obviously based in Beijing and continuing your study and your research. What's your particular focus? Yeah, so first of all, thanks so much, Alistair, for having me. And thank you, Daniel, for sharing those insights. I really appreciated hearing about them. I'm in uh, I'm at Tsinghua University in Beijing right now doing my one-year master's degree in global affairs as part of the Schwarzman Scholars Program. So I had wrapped up uh, my undergrad in the States um, studying environmental science and public policy and just wanted to continue exploring my interest in energy and climate and in China by being here on the ground and really you know, figuring out what industrial decarbonization looks like in China, what some of the amazing clean energy innovation is happening in this arena. And so far, I'm... Uh, maybe two or three months out from finishing my degree. 
Um, that all sounds amazing. And thanks so much for giving us some of your time today. We, we really appreciate it because I know you're very busy. So, Emily, just picking up that, that last point that we were discussing, you know, are we glass half full or glass half empty when it comes to China? I know that in absolute terms, China is, I think, the largest emitter in the world. But yet on a per capita basis, I've seen statistics that suggest that actually China's not doing too badly. It's a huge country with a huge population, and you have to take that into consideration. At the council, we are tracking China's adoption of EVs and also the huge manufacturing industry, the automakers, but also the battery makers and so on, supplying not just China, but a lot of the rest of the world and EV batteries and so on. Uh, and ditto with um, solar and wind technology components as well. So they seem to be doing some things really well and really ambitiously, but obviously still a lot of challenges. So what's your judgment, I guess, sitting on the ground up in Beijing at the moment? Yeah, so I think that's a really great and complicated question. And just for a bit of context, one of the, the main reasons, as I mentioned before, is that I wanted to come to China this year was because understanding the climate scene here, both the really astonishing progress that's been made, but also some of the big challenges is critical to the world if we want to meet our climate goals. As you said, China's you know, the world's largest emitter. There's just no ignoring it. And there's no solution to climate change without China being involved in some way. It emits something like more than 27% of global emissions. And just as a point of comparison, New Zealand emits 0.17% of global emissions. So big difference. And I think before I say whether I am a glass half full or a glass half empty China watcher. I just want to provide a bit of context of how I kind of view China's progress in the past few years. I think every country has areas where they're making progress and where they're lacking, and China's certainly no exception to that. For example, its massive reliance on coal, which Daniel talked about, is a huge challenge. It accounts for more than half of China's current uh, energy consumption at a time when you know globally you're seeing people really leaning away from coal use um, and a big decline in coal use. And in China, there, there are various economic and political obstacles in the way of phasing out coal, um, including the fact that the coal industry is one of the biggest employers in China. It's a really important part of ensuring national security and energy security, given how abundant it is, how abundant coal yeah. is. And it's also a stable energy source without the same variability and intermittency problems you run into when you use renewable energy. So by prioritizing that coal maintenance strategy rather than that coal reduction strategy, I think the Chinese government is compromising a little on their environmental interests um, in favor of perhaps more economic interests. So that's an area where I think China needs to make further um, efforts in. But, you know, beyond just coal, there are other difficulties associated with decarbonizing heavy industry here. And that's a big research topic I'm working on right now, looking at how to decarbonize steel, cement, aluminium and chemicals, traditionally known as the hard to abate sectors. And also, I think China's general accuracy and transparency with their emissions monitoring and reporting is put into question at, at times. So those are all the areas where China is lacking uh, or yeah i would say lacking is probably the best word for it but on the other hand china has set these really ambitious national targets to peak their emissions by 2030 and achieve carbon neutrality by 2060 and you've said how they produce uh, the most solar panels and wind turbines in the world they invest 
heavily in renewable energy um, and techno these technologies as well. And they also are the largest market for electric vehicles, which people often overlook when they think about China and think about China's environmental actions. So on top of all, the, all of that, they've been making a very active move to play a leadership role in global climate negotiations. They spearheaded the Paris Agreement um, in 2015, and I think um, working to you know, establish that presence and build partnerships with many countries on really critical climate industries. But to answer your question, all of that being said, <laughs> I would say I'm more of a glass half full China watcher, mm. I think. Focusing on the good and, and keeping that streak of optimism is really important in the climate space because it can be such an overwhelming and distressing topic to engage with sometimes. And for me, seeing China's really concrete achievements so far, not just rhetoric, shows me that they are committed to tackling climate change. And oftentimes, you know, when China puts their mind to something such as fighting air pollution this past decade and seeing how good they are at achieving what they say um, and delivering those results, I, I think makes me very much a glass half full China watcher. Yeah, I, I, if I can just jump in, because I think the New Zealanders from the comments we were seeing in the sentiment, they tended to focus on obviously the negative things. So one of the major complaints was that the New Zealand government had tried to reduce alcohol production. And then they were like, well, why are we bothering to reduce alcohol production when China produces so much? Also, they, they, they sort of see China as getting a free pass um, because of that in the um, UN, you know, 2030 goals. But I think from that perspective, they're focusing very heavily on those two things, but not obviously they were getting ignored in the massive changes they're doing in terms of electric cars and renewable energy. And that just wasn't mentioned. And I think they're not sort of, it's not counterbalanced in the social media. They're just focusing on the very negative things that, yeah, that may impact on New Zealanders, you know. Mm. Yeah, that was a point that leapt out to me as well in your analysis that um, some Kiwis, I guess, felt that China setting its peak emissions goal at 2030 just gave it another seven years of a free pass was the word that was used. But yeah. um, from yeah. what you're saying, Emily, they're not coasting along. They're actually, as you say, they've set super ambitious goals. They're working as hard as they can. Yeah, I think uh, you're right about how New Zealand is so, so much smaller than China. But I think the fact that China is bigger and bears more responsibility also means it's got a much larger economy to manage. It's got billions of people to think about when making this transition. So naturally, it's a lot more complicated too. And taking that into account when thinking about the transition is important because they could set an even earlier carbon emissions peaking deadline of, let's say, 2025. But these days, increasingly, people are concerned about making a just transition rather than just the transition. Um, and so by that, it means you're taking into account social and economic uh, well-being of people, and you can't just change their lives and their livelihoods overnight. There are a lot of factors at play. So mm. it is a difficult problem. But I think China is, uh, at least targets-wise, is being fairly ambitious. Sure. Um, Emily, I was also going to ask you about the attitudes, I guess, of Chinese people generally, but in particular, young Chinese when it comes to climate change issues. I mean, are they concerned about the world that they will inherit in the same way that we see young New Zealanders, um, whether it's students striking for climate change or Gen Z, younger people? It's just hardwired now, this general concern about what is coming down the tracks for the globe. How do young Chinese in particular view the whole issue of climate change? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think as a New Zealander who was born and raised in New Zealand um, and just moved to China this past year, uh, but have worked in China a little bit in the past, it's been a really interesting position to occupy to see how Chinese youth are reacting to climate change and thinking about climate change. I think young people all across the world are much more engaged with this topic now. And I think youth in China are certainly no exception to that. There was a study done uh, two or three years ago now um, by the China Youth Climate Action Network, where they surveyed thousands of college-age students across the country to gauge their views on climate change. So that's probably a you know more representative view than, than what I can offer. But wow. the results show that the large majority of them were aware of the magnitude of the issue and nearly half viewed it as the most serious global problem right now. So that's, you know, a very, very promising sign. Um, and I think there are a few different factors that have contributed to this growing sense of concern amongst Chinese youth that might make it a little different to how New Zealand uh, young people have thought about the issue. The first one being the fact that the government here has, has really made a huge push to elevate climate to the top of its agenda. And when something in China is prioritized at that highest level, there's usually really strong messaging and you know high profile public campaigns which all help to increase the public awareness and another factor that i want to just shed a little bit of light on is the air pollution factor so you know this ties into the second part of your question about whether they are concerned in the same way that young kiwis are because this is the clearest difference in my eyes you know the quality of the air we breathe in New Zealand is generally not something we worry about. Uh, we take clean air pretty much for granted. And that's definitely not the case for people in China. Alistair, I know you've spent a lot of time here and you know the smog issue that China dealt with in the past decade where it got so bad to a point where people were calling it an air apocalypse. Mm, <laughs> so <yep>. apocalypse, <laughs> replace that with air. And since 2013, when I think it reached a its peak worst point, uh, the government has made huge strides to improve the air. And all that being said, I think to Chinese people, climate change is very, very closely linked with air pollution. Um, and that's a link that doesn't quite exist in New Zealand uh, and amongst New Zealand youth. And so in China, that's air pollution is always the risk that people are most worried about. And, you know, the burning of fossil fuels contributes to both climate change and air pollution. So I think that's one key difference. And just, I guess, going back to my childhood and talking to family, friends here, I think in New Zealand, our natural environment is such a huge part of our national pride and our national psyche that Kiwi youth, myself included, often get started on the track of caring about climate change through more of a conservation lens. For example, you know, you might go hiking a lot, you might spend a lot of time on the beach, go to a beach cleanup or a tree planting that your school organizes, and then that might snowball into getting involved with the school strike for climate movement. But here in China, it's a very different picture. I think the, the value of the natural world might not be quite as embedded in the daily lives of young people, given that, you know, they grow up in a much more intense academic environment, often in urban centers. And also the social environment is very different as well, where Chinese youth are much less likely to rally and to protest if they feel dissatisfied with something, given that that behavior is not condoned by the government. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, the, the type of activism is different. The type of uh, approach to tackling climate change is a little bit different. But ultimately, yes, they share that same concern about climate change and how that will impact their future. Mm -hmm. 
Have you met climate skeptics as well? Is there a debate? Obviously, probably not in the media, uh, because I know that the government often just sets the agreed policy line. But just uh, amongst your friends or people that you know, your family contacts, as you said, are some people still yet to be convinced? I So that's actually, that's an interesting point you raised. I don't think that's as much of an issue in China. I think uh, I have personally haven't encountered climate skeptics. I have encountered people who think the government should go full force on uh, improving the economic condition, especially after the past three years of harsh COVID restrictions. Um, but that's the same anywhere. But I think people here believe in the issue of climate change and believe that things need to be done, but it's more so a matter of prioritization and how fast the government should do that. Not so much skepticism. Mm, sure. Daniel, just I was just thinking as Emily was speaking, um, when you collect your data, because it's all anonymized, does that mean that you're unable to tell if the person making the comment is young or old? Or is, yeah, or are, there, are there ways to, to sort of read the tea leaves like that? Um, the only way really would be to determine, so if we're getting on Facebook, the type of Facebook page it's on, that, that you're on, or like, I mean, it's, it's basically assumptions, right? I mean, you can go on a very top level down and be like, if we're on Instagram, the viewers are probably more likely to be younger than if we're on Facebook, for example. But yeah, not really. You can sort of set it up because that's just a part of the deal of obviously being ethical, right? Is yep. that don't try to collect information on individuals it would be really nice if we could just get the demographics without them. <laughs> but yeah no there's no way we can really tell so i'll move on to another question emily that i thought it'd be useful to discuss and that is whether there are any specific aspects of china's response to climate change that affect new zealand directly and mm-hmm. that we should be really aware of yeah so Taking a, a broader view before we go more specific, I think I just want to highlight the very fundamental principle that climate change is a global commons problem. That's what makes it so hard to deal with. But it means that no matter where the emissions come from, no matter which country they come from, emissions don't they don't recognize national borders. So ultimately, everyone will feel the effects of climate change. So as a result, whatever China does in response to climate change will have flow-on effects um, and affect us all the way in New Zealand. But getting that core concept out of the way, uh, there are a few areas where we have greater overlaps. Um, The first being trade. I think, as you know, China is one of New Zealand's largest trading partners, and we rely on uh, exporting our agricultural products, such as dairy, meat, wool, to China. And as China picks up its pace with the uh, reducing its carbon emissions and thinking about how to get the population on board with living a lower carbon lifestyle that could certainly affect New Zealand's export market and how we position ourselves and think about our agricultural emissions, uh, which are New Zealand's big challenge. Um, Another area is probably climate diplomacy and, and foreign affairs. I think that might not be talked about as much in this climate change debate but especially in the Pacific, I think New Zealand has long been known as you know, one of the biggest donors of, of aid to the Pacific regions. Um, we have significant influence there and cultural ties, but that has declined a little bit in recent years while China's presence there has increased. And I think often both Australia and New Zealand feel like they don't need to put as much effort into the region to maintain their so-called dominance or, or um Yeah, but because we are so close to them and have these ties, but 
relying on that mentality has meant that other players, such as China, have begun to think about their geostrategic uh, positions and uh, how they can increase their influence globally, but not just increasing influence, but also support certain uh, renewable energy initiatives. And so China's been providing a lot more aid to the Pacific, especially climate change aid in recent years. And I think for New Zealand, thinking about how we engage with the Pacific and what sort of Uh, support we're providing in terms of climate security to these island nations, which are particularly vulnerable to the effects of climate change, is an important issue. So positioning ourselves in a way that, you know, maintains our very people-to-people way of doing things, um, our engaging with the culture of the Pacific, but also taking into account how China's influence in that region may affect our strategic positioning. I know China's impact on New Zealand in the conversations that were happening a lot of the New Zealanders on the uh, social media were questioning why we have a free trade deal China when they're such a big carbon polluter. And then the other thing is people were concerned, this is probably not so much to do with climate change, but the environment anyway, a lot of um, the comments that were coming up in those word maps too were China's sort of impact on our environment or New Zealand. They were worried about them buying New Zealand farms and bottled water and stuff like that. So those were some of the key conversations coming through in terms of China's impact directly on New Zealand. Yeah, you guys are starting to hit on some really hot topics now that um, we could probably <laughs> spin out into a series of uh, podcasts. <laughs> we might have to invite you back. But I, I did want to follow up on one specific issue, Emily, and that you mentioned around um, New Zealand exports, because obviously a lot of New Zealand companies are looking at, at sustainable food production these days and proud of their sustainability record. We've heard anecdotally that Chinese consumers are interested in sustainable food, but it's more from a point of view that it must be healthy. So it's it's sort of how does sustainable food benefit me rather than coming at it from that, you know, how does sustainable food benefit all of us on the globe? Uh, As you said, it is a global commons issue. Do you think that's accurate or do you think uh, some of maybe, again, younger Chinese are beginning to make purchase choices based on those uh, environmental and and climate-related issues. Mm, Yeah, so there has been a trend towards Chinese consumers uh, making purchase decisions based on more socially conscious and and sustainability conscious uh, motivations. I think, yes, even though meat and dairy consumption is rising in China as people are able to afford perhaps more premium products, especially New Zealand exports and typically viewed as pretty premium products, um, not just from the sustainability point of view, but also from that pricing point of view. Because the culture of consumption here is truly astounding. And, and I don't mean that in, in a good way. I think since coming to campus and the, the prevalence of online shopping, of ordering food deliveries, it's at a scale that New Zealand does not compare with at all because it's just so much more convenient here. So I think there's a lot of wastage that comes with that, but people are slowly recognizing that and being a little bit more holistic um, in their purchasing decisions. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it evolves. And a bit of a a spoiler alert, the council is quite keen to do some work in this area um, going forward as well. So watch this space. I thought I might ask one final question, Emily, and that is Daniel's given a really good snapshot of what Kiwis are thinking when it comes to China and climate change. What's one key message or one key fact that you may have already mentioned or you want to re-emphasise, or it could be a new one, that you would like New Zealanders to know 
about China when it comes to their response to climate change issues? Mm. That is another great question. I think that probably the key thing I would want New Zealanders to know is that while China seems like such a far off removed country to what we're doing uh, in New Zealand, there's a lot of collaboration and best practices that can be shared between our two countries that is beneficial, not just to each of us, but to solving this climate change problem more broadly. And I think there's a lot to learn from each other, especially in the areas of sustainable agriculture, which is something we struggle with. Um, there's a lot to learn from carbon markets. So that's a fairly new concept on, on people's radars, where both countries have established these uh, emissions trading systems uh, to help cut emissions. And also just in terms of electric vehicle, how China is able to really massively shift towards people driving electric vehicles, whereas New Zealand is still trying to increase that uptake and increase investment in, in charging infrastructure and, and reduce the price of EVs. I think both New Zealand does a lot of great work in climate-related areas, and I think we have an outsized influence on the world with our climate leadership, but China does the same, and I think that certainly needs to be recognized and best practices to be learned from. So more, I guess, joint sharing of knowledge and just increased interest in this really, really critical part of the world, I think, is something New Zealanders should keep in mind as they move forward and, and think about climate change. Sure. Look, Emily, thank you so much for your insights today. For many of us, it's been three, four years since we've been up on the ground in China. So I think we're all a little unsighted on really what is going on and the pace of change and also the pace of change of social views around these issues. So really valuable to have that snapshot. And thank you very much. Of course. Thank you for having me. And uh, Daniel, it would be really neat to keep working with Instat data and perhaps revisit the same subject in, in a couple of years' time and just see if there's a, a slow change in the way that New Zealanders are beginning to conceive of, of the challenges China's facing, but also the progress that they're making. Yeah, no, definitely. It would be interesting to see how the conversation changes over the next couple of years, especially sort of post-COVID. So um, yeah, no, and thanks for having me as well. A big thanks to Instat data for partnering with our council on this podcast and to Daniel and Emily for such a frank and constructive discussion. For more podcasts, please follow us on Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, or Spotify, or check out our website, nzchinacouncil.org.nz. Thank you very much for listening.